Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. It is Fan Friday, unfortunately, minus the fans today. We had a little issue with our recording of our locker room chat yesterday. So unfortunately, that got sort of lost in the mail. Uh, but we do have a great episode for you guys today. Gavin, we, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we talked about on the locker room last night, since there were some great topics that came up. Uh, starting off with our own that we brought to the show, which was uh, talking about the Knicks West Coast swing coming up. Yeah, we'll open up previewing that. Then we discuss if Emmanuel quickly is actually the point guard of the future or more of a sixth man. And then we wrap up the episode discussing RJ Barrett. Is he just the perfectly made player for Tom Thibodeau? That and much more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. He's tough. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And he is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play man by day, podcaster by night. And this is Locked On Knicks. And this was going to be Fan Friday. Normally today we'd be releasing our Fan Friday episode, where which is our locker room talk that we had with all you guys last night. Had a great time again. Uh, we're, we've been doing it pretty much every Thursday at 5.30 uh, to be released on Friday. But we just had a little bit of a technical bug this week as far as getting the uh, the actual audio of it, the recorded file, unfortunately. So as a substitute, Gavin, we decided to kind of talk about some of the stuff that we talked about last night and just kind of put our takes out there. Unfortunately, I wish we, we could have the discussion you know, with everybody out on the episode, but I thought there were some really good topics brought up. First one, though, was, was one that we brought up, which is talking about the upcoming West Coast Swing its importance for the Knicks and what we think they need to do as far as a finish goes and as far as, you know, a record goes on this trip. Uh, do you want to lead us off there as far as talking about our sort of expectations here? Yeah. Uh, well, we, we kind of came to consensus on the show that uh, 500 would would be essentially what you want out of this trip, right? So it's, it's the Rockets on Sunday, Grizzlies on Monday, Nuggets on Wednesday, Suns Friday. Clippers next Sunday, and then the following Tuesday um, against the Lakers. So you're gonna you're gonna need to win tomorrow's game against the Rockets, and the Rockets are gonna be coming in with with the world the whole world of confidence after Kevin Porter Jr. following his 50k fine for going to a strip club matched that number with 50 points um, in a win over the Bucks. Um, so you got to imagine Houston really gonna be feeling themselves going into that game. Uh, then you have a Grizzlies team that was recently absolutely decimated uh, by the Portland Trailblazers, but Memphis 
probably the most well-balanced team in the NBA, one of the most well-balanced teams in recent memory, which is is usually code for they don't have any star power, but just a lot of like really good players. Obviously, John Morant, uh, Jonas Valanciunas has had a great year. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., who I, I held on all year to on my fantasy team, is finally back, and now he's frustrating because he's only playing every other game. But he's very, very good. Uh, DeAnthony Melton, uh, our guy uh, Desmond Bain, having uh, one of the best rookie shooting seasons in NBA history. You can go on and on and on with them. Your guy, Brandon Clark, Alex, super deep team. I, I think a very interesting um, facsimile to the Knicks where, where they have their alpha dog in Morant and then just a lot of really good players around him and they kind of get by on the power of playing no bad guys, the, the Chris Vernon theory, shout out. Um, so that, that should be an exciting matchup. Uh, Nuggets uh, obviously lost Jamal Murray for the season, but Michael Porter Jr., um, also on my fantasy team, has ascended to another level. He, he's a verifiable superstar. The Knicks, uh, as, as I suggest at the time, maybe should have considered drafting him, but that's fine. Uh, and uh, Nikola Jokic uh, dueling with Julius Randle, uh, not that they'll be guarding each other directly, but the two 2010-5 Kings, uh, that'll be a good matchup. Then the Knicks get another shot at the Suns, who, who are going to be, I think, maybe... Uh, prone to a loss because they have this. They just had this big emotional game against the Clippers that they won. They had the big emotional win over the Knicks. Now they get the Jazz today without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. They might be in the one seed. I think they'll be a little bit prone to slipping up. That could be one if you're looking for the Knicks to pull an upset. Um, and then Knicks Clippers Sunday. That I think is unfortunate timing because if I'm remembering correctly, I think Kawhi Leonard is is nearing a comeback. So that could potentially be deadly as the Clippers try and fight their way into that second seed in the Western Conference. And then, of course, you get the Lakers uh, approximately right as LeBron James is supposed to come back. So, again, very poor timing for the Knicks on that front. And, Alex, my, my best summation of that is is you got you, the Rockets game is an absolute must-win. The Grizzlies game is you, you really should win it. And, and then if, if you can just take one of, of the Nuggets, Suns, Clippers, Lakers games, that would be considered, in my mind, a major success. I think the more realistic way it goes is they go one and one against the Rockets and Grizzlies. They win one of those two Nuggets Suns games, and then you're just going into those last two against the Clippers and Lakers, just battling to to win one of them. Yeah, I think I think it could potentially go that way too. I do think there's maybe a chance they could they could sweep the first two and take Houston and Memphis. Um, I I agree though. Houston is a must win. I mean, you can't you can't mess around and let you know, I know Kevin Porter's talented, so I'm not saying that it's like a fluke that he scored 50 points, but you can't mess around and give him an opportunity to, you know, and to lose to that team, which honestly is maybe the tankiest team in the NBA. I'm sure that, I mean, maybe there's going to be a mandate from the front office like, hey, don't let him do that again. <laughs> like, don't let him score 50 because, you know, we want to lose. Like, if our pick falls out of the top four, we're screwed, man. Like, we don't get our draft pick this year. Uh, so I think the Rockets probably. Maybe the I, I honestly, you know, given past tank tactics of teams, I would not be entirely surprised if Houston even like gave Porter a rest day against the Knicks or something, um, just to kind of ensure that they don't win that game and don't potentially win more games because they're the team in the NBA with the biggest reason to want to be the lowest uh, wins team in the league and get those number one lottery odds to at least give themselves roughly a 50-50 chance of keeping their own pick, which they don't get with any other spot other than uh, the one spot there. Then Memphis, like you said, I mean, I think they're they're a really good team. Um, 
they're really deep and uh, in general, you know, they're the type of team that can give the Knicks trouble because they like to run a lot. Um, they're sort of like, I mean, you said that they're sort of similar in the overall roster construction, which I agree with, like, you know, Morant's kind of their engine and everybody else just kind of fits around him nicely, just like the Knicks with Randall. But uh, like on the opposite end of the spectrum, they're kind of like the Knicks polar opposite where they like to really get out and run and, you know, utilize all that youth on the team and, uh, the Knicks, you know, as we know, are more of a plotting uh, half-court sort of team. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes for round two. Round one, obviously, was the first win in the win streak for the Knicks. So that was a pretty pivotal game for them. Uh, so we'll see if maybe they can repeat that magic and turn that into a three-game win streak if they can take care of business against Houston. And then, yeah, I think they'll, one way or the other, I don't know if they'll beat Denver or Phoenix. I do feel like a split is likely. Um, I don't know which team. It'll be that they beat, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like it would be Phoenix just because I think it's really hard to beat a team in the NBA twice in the span of like a week, week and a half, which is what the Suns are tasked with doing there. Um, I, I just think that it's, it's not something that you can very easily do when, when you can make such a quick turnaround with adjustments and, you know, remembering exactly how that team played you a week prior and whatever, and like to be fair to the Knicks, they they held a pretty big lead in that first game, and maybe this time around they just learn how to close out the Suns, and maybe Devin Booker doesn't get quite as hot and all this other stuff. So, I guess we'll see with that. And yeah, then that you know that brings us to the LA games. If it goes the way I think, maybe it could go. Maybe the Knicks are riding three and one going into that on the road trip. I think that is definitely uh, optimistic. Uh, you know, they probably will be two and two, but. If they can just take one of those two LA games and, you know, whether whether the stars align and all the superstars in LA come back for the Knicks or not, you know, will be a big a big uh thing there because if those guys come back, you know, those teams are going to be saying, "Okay, it's the last like 4 or 5 games of the season and we could be in a position to potentially affect our playoff seeding here. So we need to win this game." You know, they could become must-wins for the LA team, so that's kind of dangerous. There, basically, all this is to say there's a world where I could see the Knicks coming out of this 4-2 and two, and a world where I could see them coming out of it like 2-4. and four. I hopefully don't think that they'll finish any worse than 2-4. and four. Uh, But that, that's a, even if they finish 2-4, and four, I think that sets them up pretty good for the very end of the season here where then you get San Antonio, Charlotte, Boston at home. I think they could potentially take two out of three of those games as well. Um, not to say that any of those teams are pushovers, but the Knicks have played well enough of late to beat those level of teams. You know, San Antonio, who's kind of middling, and uh, by their standards, at least, Charlotte, who has been dealing with their injuries, they may have Hayward and Ball back by then, which would make them a lot more dangerous, but who knows? And then Boston, who's obviously, you know, they've been one of the more disappointing teams in the league by and large this year compared to what the expectations were for them. So, um Potentially, I mean the Knicks. The Knicks right now are seven games above five hundred. I could see them either holding at that and finishing the season seven games over five hundred, maybe even picking up an extra game and finishing a game over. Um, but I think at worst, we're probably looking at the Knicks maybe finishing five to six games over five hundred for the year, which is pretty encouraging and way better than we thought would happen at the beginning of the year for damn sure. Yeah, I mean, I've. I'm like uh, I'm 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 I have a big smile right now, Alex. It's it's amazing we're even having this conversation. Um, 
Let's. Uh, I want to get into the second question we got on locker room, but first, uh, let me let me take a second. If people are, are feeling really good about that Knicks finish, to tell them about our favorite place to put some money down on, on that very prospect. It's Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. This week has tons of sports action on the go as the NFL draft is on and the Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and your UFC slash MMA action before the next pitch. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if it's a very big if. Use our promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Alex, I'm going to throw this one right over to you. Big picture question. We've touched on it in different forms over the years, but maybe the last few games have influenced your opinion a little bit. Do you see Emmanuel quickly as the point guard of the future? Ultimately, more of a six man. Uh, where, where does he fit into the? Where does he fit in at that particular position as soon as next season, and maybe even a couple of years down the road? I just want to say I like your I like that framing that <laughs> I know it was just a slip up, but we've been talking about this over the years. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> when do we start talking about quickly? What year is it? Yeah. Um. Uh. But at any rate, um. I yeah. So basically, what I had said on the locker room is I could see it go either way. You know, I think that there's a very real chance that he could be uh, a starting point guard for this team. There's certainly some metrics out there and some good statistical indicators to say that he could. If you look at like uh, his pick and roll uh, efficiency, and I I believe Tom Piccolo tweeted the stat out the other day. I didn't pull it up right this second. I probably should have, but I believe it was points per possession at a pick and roll Uh, quickly is like ninth in the entire league. And it is like way up there. I mean, amongst, all basically all all stars and all NBA guys is more or less his company in that category, and uh, so you know that that bodes really well. I think that the fact that we've seen him play so well with uh, with Julius Randle and RJ Barrett is a really good thing, and you know it potentially uh, bodes well for the you know like the viability of that combo going forward. Um, but that's not to say that they can't play together with IQ coming off the bench either. And that's, I guess my other point, like I could also equally see a world where IQ is just kind of like Lou Williams for his career, where he's more or less like, uh, just a bench scorer that comes in, you count on him to score like a point per minute, like he does right now. Um, you know, and maybe that happens if he, if, you know, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know if I would say he regresses defensively, but, you know, is is less than ideal as a starting uh, defensive option at point guard. Although he he tries pretty hard, you know, he he's doesn't have the ideal body to for, for defending really anybody in the NBA. But he, you know, gives enough effort and stuff and has a pretty good wingspan. And I, I think he keeps up pretty well with most point guards. Um, he has some lapses, but he is a rookie. So, like, you have to consider that. So I guess if he doesn't develop further as a defender, which I think he probably will based off his work ethic and his overall knowledge of the game and everything, then maybe he settles into that Lou Williams kind of role where he just comes in, gives you 
you know, 25 to 30 minutes off the bench and scores points in bunches on his best nights. And if he's off on any given night, you just, you know, play him 12, 15 minutes, whatever. Um, but, you know, I I think that there's a very real chance that he could be the starter. The, the only thing that maybe gives me pause there is the potential for, you know, there, this is a, seems to me like a pretty deep point guard draft uh, coming up. So if the Knicks see an opportunity that presents itself for like Sharif Cooper, who I think came up when we were on the locker room of like, Someone had mentioned, like, I'm not sold on him. Uh, You know, I I just don't see it because I think it's because at one point I described him as like Alfred Payton. If Alfred Payton does everything well, which is actually a pretty good player. You know, it's like if Alfred Payton made better decisions and stuff, that would be great. Uh, And he would actually be a lot better of a player. And that's sort of like what Cooper does. He just can't really shoot yet, but there is room for improvement because he is only uh, 19 years old, which is also different from Payton. But uh, so if he comes up or like Josh Giddy, who uh, is just declared for the draft, I haven't done a ton of research on yet, but appears to be a great passer with good size out of uh, coming out of the NBL in Australia, taking like the LaMelo ball route. Maybe he's a guy that you look at, you know, if one of these guys become available and, and you get a chance, I don't think that you should let quickly stop you from doing that just because like, oh, I think quickly could be the point guard of the future. The reality is, is that quickly could be, or he could, no matter what quickly is going to serve a role. He could even be your, your nominal starting two guard in like a Fred Van Vliet sort of sense, potentially. So, I mean, I, I think that basically the, the thing here is it's all up in the air. I don't think that we necessarily need to put quickly in a box of he's the starting point guard of the future or, He's not the starting point guard of the future. I just think he just needs to be part of the future period. And that's that's probably the most important thing to me. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's the inherent utility of Emmanuel quickly is you don't have to make the distinction. I, I, I think the one thing we should say is that he's proven himself to be good enough at this point and on a trajectory at this point that unless something changes dramatically or he he simply doesn't develop the way most of us think he will um i'm gonna say he should be a starter going forward and i feel i feel pretty good about that and maybe you know there's 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 obviously a scenario where the knicks somehow build a super team and then and then all of a sudden guys who are who are talented enough to be starters like you have your your not that he not that he's necessarily going to be this good but you have your andre guadalas that just because of a fit and situation come off the bench you have your manager ginobili's that because of fit and situation come off the bench but I think that scenario aside, he should definitely be a starter. And and the the beauty of quickly is he I, I think he's going to reach a point where he can be your nominal point guard because you're you're starting to see the flashes um, he's showing as a passer. And as I always say with him, he doesn't have to be a, an all NBA level passer in a vacuum to be a great point guard because he's such a great shooter that he and he has such gravity that he's always going to be able to get those hard closeouts 25 to 30 feet from the basket. And because of that, he's going to have that Steph Curry-like ability where he's somewhat unguardable off the dribble because he's just he's too quick if you give him that much space, pun intended that time. Um, and and when you have a defense scrambling, all of a sudden the bar for, for making great passes, it becomes a whole lot easier. You don't necessarily need great size. You don't need great vision because the lanes are just that much more open. And I think that will fuel a career where quickly can be an effective passer, even if he doesn't develop to being a great one in, in and of itself as a skill, if, if that makes sense. 
Um, the good news is he's showing flashes of becoming a very good passer already, and he's making advanced reads, and he's able to throw some that are a little off tempo, a little off speed um, to beat a defense. And and the beauty of him is ultimately you, you also have R.J. Barrett on the roster, you also have Julius Randle on the roster. That takes away some of the responsibilities associated with the point guard position and having to initiate offense and having to break down a set defense time in and time out. But the good news if you're the Knicks is if you get that traditional point guard, if they sign Kyle Lowry or Chris Paul this offseason, or if you you draft someone um, like Sharif Cooper and, and he turns out to be that guy, you can still get quickly in that starting lineup and you can play him off the ball and, and, and he can be your nominal two guard. And obviously there, there, are, there are ideal versions of that. Maybe someone like Giddy next to him who has a lot of height, who can guard twos or threes is the best case scenario. So quickly can still defend point guards on the other end. Um, but even with someone like Cooper, if you need to have an undersized backboard, quickly shown that this year in particular, he's been at his most effective playing with Derrick Rose where he's off the ball and he gets to catch and then the defense is already in motion. So that was very long-winded. It was a reiteration of, of a lot of stuff I've already said on this show. But I, I just think there are so many different avenues for him to be successful as a starter. I, I would just bank on that being his future more than anything else going forward. And, and because of his work ethic, you, you want to bet on him making any necessary improvement um, because I, I think the question was actually framed in Tibbs's eyes, will he be a starter? And and I think you can kind of quickly getting to a point defensively, both from an intellectual level and a physical level, where that will will that will be palatable um, for uh, Tom Thibodeau. But Alex, I, I think I mean when you talk about quickly getting to that point physically, you, you just think of him having to bulk up. And I don't know when I think of bulking up, I I just can't help but think of Bill Bar. Yeah, you and me both, man. Nothing like a good old built bar when you need that protein kick after a workout or sometimes even before a workout. And that's because built bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They have so many amazing flavors. Just a few of my favorites. You probably heard of them already from me on the show, but cookies and cream is amazing. One of the best flavors they offer. Coconut almond tastes just like an almond joy. So good. Peanut butter is great because the built bars have sort of a chewy texture. Goes great with the peanut butter flavor. Salted caramel, really yummy. Toffee almond. Just so many great flavors you can pick up on BuiltBar.com. And they're all covered in 100% chocolate and soft and easy to chew. They really give you a candy bar experience without the candy bar guilt. And that's because they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. For example, my fave, the Coconut Almond Bar. 18 grams of protein in that bad boy compared to only 180 calories. 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. You can't find a better ratio than that anywhere, and especially not for a bar that tastes just like a candy bar. So if you want to try some out for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, and we're back to finish up, and we have... Uh, one more topic that that we discussed uh, on the locker room that we wanted to get into, and that's just it, it was a pretty fun one, Gavin. I think to to discuss, and that's uh, how R.J. Barrett and I sort of spun it a little bit while we were talking, kind of turned it into like the whole team, and then compared it to some of Tibbs's other teams. But how R.J. Barrett in particular is like the perfect. Tom Thibodeau player who's just like you know he's 
he's a hard worker. He can take criticism. He likes someone that pushes him to be better. You know, we literally saw it play out the other day where Tibbs chewed him out after he got beat uh, baseline twice for layups uh, during that game the other night. And, you know, Tibbs was like steam coming out of his ears, furious at him. You could see him like, you know, gesticulating and stomping up and down the sideline. And then, you know, called the timeout. RJ kind of sat in the chair. He hung his head just a smidge. You know, RJ is usually pretty even killed. You could tell he knew that it was his fault that the timeout got called. And Tibbs just laid into him. And you could see it right on camera because they usually show, you know, Tibbs kind of pulling up to the huddle there. And it show whatever his initial reaction is. He like looked right at RJ, was yelling at him about the rotations uh, and not, you know, covering his man baseline. And, uh, but RJ got asked about after the game and was like, you know, I'm, I'm good with it. It's just part of playing for Tibbs. And, you know, that's fine. Like I, you know, I like that he uh, expects us to be good and, you know, it, it's just part of getting better. And so, yeah, we had, you know, we kind of discussed that on the show. Uh, but what are your kind of thoughts on, on RJ with Tibbs and then just kind of the overall uh, vibe of this team? I, I'll get into my thoughts on that a little more too in a sec. Yeah, I think we, we maybe take it for granted sometimes because the NBA is so distinctly different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, where, I mean, one, you, you rarely had younger players coming in. And then when that started, um, when like Kobe Bryant started the revolution of, of high schoolers going straight to the league in in uh, the mid '90s, um, you you had this you had this stretch from like 1995 to maybe 2006 or seven. Like I mean, I guess I'm just essentially saying until they flipped the high school rule, where you, where you had kids coming in who just from a maturity perspective, like it, it wasn't good for anyone because they just they just weren't ready for NBA basketball. And then it feels like you had sort of an in-between period on that front in, from 07 to maybe 2014-ish. Um, and then the last like five or six years, it, it feels like all these guys that come into the league after one year, like I'm thinking of dudes like, I mean, sorry to shout out Celtics, but but Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, um, that just come into the NBA and, and feel like they're they're adults. Like I, I remember um, I was in I was in college and I went to the um, Phoenix Suns media day. And I went up to Devin Booker with a couple of my friends and it was his rookie year and, and introduced myself and was like, like, Hey man, nice to meet you. Like, Oh, it's kind of cool. Like we're all, we're all sort of the, sort of the young guys, like on the beat, you're the young guy on the team. I was just kind of implying that we'd, we'd all hang out and, and, and go out and stuff. And then like, I was like, Oh, if you, if, if, if you need a friend in the area and he was, he was obviously, he's kind of like, yeah, sure. Whatever, buddy. Um, but he just, he just seemed like 10 years older than me right from the, right from the get go. And that, that is just the trend in the modern NBA. And I think about um, someone like R.J. Barrett, and I would just say he's on the absolute highest end of that spectrum because it's, it's one thing to showcase maturity off the court, but his um, IQ on the court and on top of that, just his willingness to take criticism and more so than a willingness, his, his desire to take criticism. Uh, there was this really good piece from, I, I can't believe it was, I, I probably should have looked it up because it's blanking on the guy's name during the locker room, but uh, famous Bulls reporter, um, who uh, did a piece uh, with the Knicks playing Chicago, and he was just interviewing a, a bunch of different guys on the team and asking them about Tibbs. And, and RJ flat out said, "Like, man, like I, I love playing for Tibbs." And with a lot of guys, you'd be like, "All right, do you do you really?" I mean, we I know we hear that's a common sentiment throughout the team, but for a twenty year old to to want to play for a coach who who clearly is is not afraid to rip you a new one for every perceived slight, e- even when you're someone like RJ who's, who's way ahead of the curve 
for his age. And RJ genuinely welcomes that. He, he wants to get better. And he, he wants someone who will aggressively push him to get better in all facets. And, and it does just... Maybe I'm wrong about this because I'm not I'm not in the locker room, Alex, but strikes me as someone who will not get defensive when called out on a mistake. And and instead <clears throat> excuse me, I'm I'm getting emotional. Um we'll we'll kind of uh we'll we'll just say, Yeah, you're right. I screwed up. Uh give me give me all the criticism. And it, it feels like that's true throughout the team. And we've seen Tibbs kind of um kind of hint at that specifically with, with guys outside of just RJ. Like he he said um, you know, like it's no, it's no accident that we started getting really good when Taj and Derek got in here because they're two guys who one are, are used to me coaching like that, and two um, set the tone for the whole team and ex- expect to be coached like that and make everyone else accepting of getting coached for that. And then I, I kind of wanted to get into it on one of our post game recaps, but he had this amazing quote on Julius Randle. Where he said, "Yeah, you know, I got with him with, in, during the summer. I, I, I saw um, the kind of shape he was in, but most importantly, more than that, I saw his capacity for work." I think that's a great way to to sum up the success of this entire Knicks team in one term. They have an incredible capacity for work. And that has led to a group that's just continually gotten better and better and better throughout the year. And one that I think we can be confident with will continue on that trajectory, given their age and that inclination. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that kind of brings me to my overall point on the team, which is, you know, I think that this team is so much better suited for Tibbs than his his previous stop in Minnesota. Like, you know, we made sure to note on this, like, it, nothing is complete, obviously. But, like, Carl Towns to this point has not really shown that he can give a crap on both sides of the ball. You know, and I think that was ultimately the sticking point with Tibbs was probably Tibbs was like, look, man, you're the big. Like, you've got to you've got to play your butt off on both ends. Like if you want to, you know, if you want to play big minutes for me and, and if you want this team to be successful, you're going to have to play better defense. Cause you're the anchor here. And, you know, cat, I think looks at it right now is like, well, I'm shouldering so much of the offensive burden and the rebounding and whatever. Like, you know, it's one of the, he's, I think he's just one of those players at this point. that's just kind of like, you know, tires himself out on offense, I guess. And then doesn't have the energy for defense. Um, which just doesn't doesn't meld with Tibbs. And, you know, he seemed to also not enjoy Tibbs's style of kind of tough love, which is so different from this team. And, you know, we saw that sort of implode in in Minnesota as well with it was almost it almost seemed like it was like 50 50 of some players loved him. Some players hated him. Obviously, Rose and Taj loved him because they still do and they still are playing for him now. They're like his his forever players. Like I think as long as Tibbs is the coach, you know, Taj will be out there at like 50 years old, like, you know, and rocking huge knee braces and everything else to keep playing for him. Um, but like, you know, the, some of the other players, like, you know, there's reports that, that cat uh, wasn't happy. There was reports that Wiggins wasn't happy. There was reports that uh, Gorgie Jang wasn't happy. Uh, and, you know, I think that, they just weren't prepared for his style of coaching where meanwhile, you know, Jimmy Butler was, and, you know, even though things kind of ended messy with Jimmy more or less like doing like a George Costanza and like doing whatever he can to get fired kind of thing to get out of there and and get traded to the Sixers. uh, Well, to get traded anywhere, but ultimately he went to the Sixers. Um, You know, I, I think that, you know, Jimmy was a a Tibbs sort of player and, and the fact that, the whole roster wasn't on board with 
you know, busting their butts all the time, like he was willing to do, rubbed him the wrong way, which is why he wanted to get out. And now we just see with this Knicks team, it's just all guys that are receptive to Tibbs' particular brand of coaching, particularly the two most important guys on the roster, which is Julius Randle, who's your superstar, and RJ Barrett, who's your rising star. And, you know, I think in particular, too, RJ is sort of like the leading voice slash, you know, presence among like the young guys on the team, so to speak. And so having him really buy in like he has, has probably been the most valuable thing because buy in from him means, you know, that buy in passes down to Frank, passes down to uh, Knox, even, you know, who, who doesn't play much, but it seems to be a pretty good worker in practice and stuff and, and still seems to be trying really hard to work on his craft and, you know, break the rotation. And, uh, you know, even goes to Obi quickly, you know, whatever. Everybody on the team, you know, has now bought into the Tibbs way. And Julius obviously has a lot to do with that, too, with, you know, the, the story that we've talked about a couple times. And you hear every time there's a national broadcast about from his Players Tribune article about how he always goes and finds a uh, finds a gym and every place that they touch down to go work out because to- Kobe taught him to do that and this, that and the other. So th- this team is just full of Tibbs guys. And I think that's part of why or actually it's not even just part. It, it is why they're so successful, because I think it takes a particular brand of player to be able to put up with the type of maniac that Tibbs is in a good way. You know, I, I don't say that uh, in a bad way. I say that endearingly. And, you know, the, the Knicks have a number of other maniacs on the team to keep up with him. And, and it's really suited them well to this point. And I think that's why they're having success now and they're, they're going to continue having success in the future. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Alex, that's an that's a optimistic and, uh, for us, beautifully concise note to wrap up on. So again, uh, we, we apologize to everyone on Locker Room. We, uh, we, 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 we're, we can now no longer say we featured everyone who's come on on an episode, but I, I think we've got the, the tech side figured out for next week, and, uh, or maybe we'll, we'll just do a backup recording to be safe so that doesn't happen again, and we, we really, really hope um, all of you join us again next week on, on Locker Room because it's, it's, a whole, it's a whole lot of fun getting to talk to all of you. Um, and we just wanted to remind you, before we finish up, that while this is a great place to get all your Knicks news, if you want to get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes, with the, you can do so with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport. With the help of our local experts, follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. I'm sure they'll have some great NFL draft coverage. And I, I want to mention it now because we did it on the locker room as well. Um, head over to YouTube. And check out Locked On's NFL draft coverage. We have each of our local experts uh, giving some insight onto their team's picks. Uh, Alex, I'll, I'll ask you a day later. Um, how, how are you feeling about uh, Zach Wilson? Yeah, I was actually just going to interject and give my opinion. I actually, okay, so I wasn't super sold on Wilson, but I was texting with my one friend last night who's also a Jets fan. He sort of sold me on him as like, I was more of a Lance guy. I liked Trey Lance, but... Ultimately, Lance is kind of a project. I, I do think just his physical measurables and intangibles are really, really good. And that's why I like them so much. But he is probably going to be a guy that can't start year one. Since the Jets have gone all in on, you know, getting rid of Darnold and and starting fresh, I do think it's important to have a guy that can step in there and hopefully start right from the get-go. And I, I Wilson probably is that guy, even if I, I worry about his ceiling, but Hopefully this is finally it. Hopefully this is the time the Jets have got it. Their second move, though, I loved uh, to trade up. I, 
I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I forget the, the guy's name already, the tackle that they drafted. I'm actually looking it up as we speak here. Um, but so, the, the Barrett, move... Barrett Tucker out of USC. Yes, there we go. Uh, I, <laughs> you can tell I did my homework. Uh, but basically to, to move up and make that move and solidify their offensive line for, well, actually not even just their offensive line. They have now solidified probably three of the highest paid positions on any given NFL roster uh, with rookie contracts right now, which is so important when you're talking about trying to build a team from scratch like they are. Uh, so by getting Vera Tucker and then they already have Mekhi Becton and now you have Zach Wilson at quarterback, three of the positions that most teams pay huge money to, you're only paying rookie contracts to for the next, I think with Becton, it's at least the next two years before he needs to get paid. Uh, but they could, they could pick up his fourth year option, which will pay him somewhat lucratively, but not nearly as much as he's ultimately going to end up making. Um, and then they have Vera Tucker and uh, Zach Wilson. And then the, the other aspect is I think that there are some good players left over going into today um, and, and lots of different directions that the jets could go. So I I'm pretty optimistic. Um, you know, maybe they could go with, Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma state and just really go all in on like, we are going to make our offensive line fantastic. We're going to go all in on this. Use three uh, top two round picks on offensive linemen in the last two years and really solidify that, protect our new quarterback. Um, They could go with like, I, I kind of like Asante Samuel jr. Potentially Uh, (laughs) firstly, as a way to kind of, you know, uh, say F you to the, the Patriots and take Asante Samuel's uh, son, but also just because I think, you know, the Jets have always struggled with having good corners and I think that he looks really good, but there, there's just a lot of, a lot of talent out there uh, for the Jets to choose from with the second pick of the second day of the draft. So I'm very excited for that. But how do you feel about the Giants with, uh, with their moves, the trading back twice? Yeah, it um, it feels similar to me when the Knicks missed out on Steph Curry by one pick. That, that's how I. That's how good I think Devonte Smith is going to end up being. But um, it, the the in, in this alternate world, the Knicks picked up a first the next season that could potentially be a top ten pick, and they ended up with a player that um, I'm trying to think of like the equivalent in that draft. Uh, maybe. Maybe they ended up with uh, a Reggie Bullock feels like, you know, I'll even say like an RJ Barrett. I, I think Kadarius Tony is going to be a really, really good NFL player for a long time. I just think Devontae Smith is going to be Hall of Fame type receiver. And it hurts even more because he went to the Eagles. But the Giants, for once, under David Gittleman, made the very best of a bad situation. Um, they also could have just drafted Justin Fields. But uh, there was never a world where David Gettleman was going to admit that he was incredibly wrong on Daniel Jones. So, Given, given all that context, it's very similar to the Knicks where it was like, all right, if we can't be super smart, then I'm okay with uh, this, this, and this, how this turned out. Um, like sort of like where they just lucked into someone like Mitchell Robinson. But hey, that's neither here nor there. I'm sorry for bringing some Knicks baggage into my Giants baggage. We'll wrap up on that happy note. For Alex, I'm Gavin Shaw. We'll be back early next week. Peace out.